Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we are broadcasting from a bunker deep under the prairie, somewhere in Iowa, perhaps near Des Moines. Can't tell you for sure. Well, yeah, Des Moines, that's right. That's the formerly known as the Culinary and Cultural Crossroads of America, prior to the reign of uh, Governor, a.k.a. Queen Reynolds. Now we are the capital of book bans, religious schools, abortion bans, and banning local governments from establishing fair wage ordinances or tougher environmental regulations or a whole bunch of other reforms. Yeah, so much for freedom and small government. Thank you, Governor Reynolds. Hey, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. But yeah, creativity persists despite Queen Reynolds' efforts to squash it. Specifically, I would like to thank the Des Moines Irish Session for providing the music that brings us back into each segment of this program. All right, a lot to talk about today. Uh, Cluster bombs, the heat in Phoenix, um, other concerns about climate change. I want to really focus on these uh, carbon dioxide pipelines because we got some big stuff brewing on that. But first, a word about threads now. Threads is the um, new response to Twitter. It's it's it's, it's the uh, the battle of the billionaires. Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg. I would love to see a cage match of that. But you know, um, again, Twitter. A lot of problems with Twitter under you know Musk's leadership. He's had it for what a year now. I'm sure he thinks it's the best 45 million bucks he's ever spent. Was it 45 billion? I get lost on those numbers. Uh, so yeah, Twitter became even you know more caustic. And, and unreliable as well under Musk. And so, of course, uh, predictably, there was this exodus from the platform. And um, not just the unreliability and the caustic nature of the, uh, of the platform and that was unregulated, but, um, you know, there were algorithm changes that people weren't happy with. And then, of course, Musk's decision to bring Donald Trump back on. So, um, you know, and other efforts to, re- to kind of give, give Twitter some competition have surfaced but didn't get very far. It took, of course, another billionaire, Mark Zuckerberg, to pull it off. So, um, yeah, Threads was born last week uh, <laughs> with a, a direct and simple appeal to Elon Musk, no, sorry, to Zuckerberg's, I get them mixed up, uh, Instagram users. So, they, uh, and, and, and again, when you've got, what, has it, 2 billion users? 70 million signed up within just a few days. 70 million signed up for threads. And that's, that, that's the most downloaded, most rapidly downloaded app in the history of apps. <laughs> so, of course, Elon Musk is not going to sit back and take this. He's going to threaten to sue. And he is. He's threatening to sue. You know, and it's really funny to me how capitalists who are all about the free market, well, in quotes, the free market that's heavily subsidized by taxpayers. I mean, look at all the Google and Facebook and, and Twitter buildings here in central Iowa. And look at all the tax breaks they're getting. So, yeah, that kind of free market. But, you know, when they see their free market actually being threatened by, by some other corporation, oh, they get all kinds of concern, you know. So uh, he's, he's, he's not going to stand by and let, and let his empire crumble because uh, Mark Zuckerberg one-upped him. But so... Um, I honestly have mixed feelings about the threads versus Twitter battle. You know, part of me wants to believe that in a free society, people should be able to say any idiotic thing they want. And I, I like to do that myself on a regular basis. I say idiotic things. And every once in a while, I can count on Kathy to point them out to me. So, um, you know, but there is also this thing about yelling fire in a crowded theater. I mean, that's basically what's happening in unregulated, so, unregulated social media platforms you know, it's the cyber equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded theater. I mean, some of this stuff is off the wall, and it's having a negative effect. Not just a negative effect, but a deadly effect. There are, there are shootings, uh, insurrections. Various things happen because of things people say on the cyber universe. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I like to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with this quote from uh, Shoshana. Zuboff, she's a privacy expert at Harvard. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a privacy expert. I don't even know how you get a degree in that. But anyway, she says, quote, these tech companies are not only the wealthiest corporations that have ever existed, but they've institutionalized a new form of profound inequality. Threads is simply another property in a global surveillance empire, 
end quote. And that interests me because, you know, I mean, I, I call my, I very lovingly refer to my cell phone as my federal tracking device. And uh, so, so many of these platforms are, are just ways of accessing our data, uh, getting it out there to corporate interests, and again, providing government a way to keep an eye on us. And I don't think that's conspiracy theory oriented. I don't think that's off the wall. I don't think that's, uh, that's any kind of a, you know, a bizarre thing to, uh, to say. It's a, I think it's what's happening. And so, yeah, that's my bottom line with, when it comes to these things. I, I only use the social media opportunities that I have to use, that I absolutely have to use for either personal or professional reasons. And so I'm kind of intrigued by the battle between Zuckerberg and Musk, Threads versus Twitter. But I'm not going to rush out and sign up for Threads. I hardly ever use Twitter. Have at it, big guys. Bring on the cage match. In probably more immediate news of interest, uh, carbon dioxide pipelines. Um, big stuff happening on that front here in the upper Midwest. Uh, there was a, uh, a meeting this past week. Uh, Republicans got together. Again, not all Republicans, because the Republican Party is pretty divided on this. But good old Steve King, the uh, former uh, right, far-right firebomb-throwing uh, congressman from, uh, from, from Western Iowa who got ousted by his own party, he's back, um, this time doing something I agree with. Uh, he is challenging the leadership of his own party uh, to do the right thing when it comes to eminent domain for carbon dioxide pipelines. And an entity called the Midwestern Coalition to Protect Private Property Rights was involved with this meeting in Fort Dodge. And there were, there were folks from other states there as well, including legislators from North Dakota, I believed. Uh, there were about 300 people who showed up. I would have loved to have come to that myself, but I think it was for Republicans only. So um, King told the group, and I quote, the representation that we have in the Iowa House and the Iowa Senate, the governor, that goes to some of the executive offices too, None of them at that level have weighed in on this thing on behalf of the landowners. And he is exactly right. Again, the bill that would have done something about it, House File 565, passed the Iowa House, passed it overwhelmingly, only 21 dissenting votes, actually. And to be clear, a little over half of those votes were from Democrats. So there were, you know, what, 11 Democrats who were opposed to preventing farmland from being taken through eminent domain to build these pipelines. Crazy. Anyway, that, that bill failed to be uh, uh, taken up in the uh, Senate. The Senate Commerce Committee, the, actually the subcommittee of the Senate Commerce Committee, chaired by uh, Senator Mike Buzolo. He's a Republican from the Des Moines suburbs. Well, um, <laughs> surprise, surprise, Buzolo used to work for Summit. But don't blame him because... He got appointed to be the chair of that subcommittee by the chair of that committee. And the chair of that committee, of course, got appointed by the, the uh, president and majority leader of the Senate. And no, no doubt about it, behind the scenes, the, whole, the, 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 the puppet master pulling all these strings is Governor Reynolds, or as I want to call her anymore, Queen Reynolds, because she has usurped so much power and, and power on so many levels. I mean, consider what she did to House Republicans who last year refused to support her uh, religious school privatization effort. She ran primary opponents against them and beat nearly every one of them. I want to say there were eight. Wow, that's crazy. So I'm sure that the Senate Republicans are thinking, hey, we better, even though the House went ahead and they were allowed to have this vote, and we knew it wouldn't, we knew it would pass the House, but we knew we could stop it in the Senate because that's what our big donors want. That's what the big businesses that are embedded in the Republican Party want. So anyway, you know, you would have thought that two years ago, Democrats would have said, aha, we see a great opportunity here. Republicans are at war internally over these carbon dioxide pipelines. They're a bad thing environmentally. They're a bad thing when it comes to climate change. They're not good for Iowa agriculture either. I mean, why are so many farmers opposed to them if they're good for Iowa agriculture? And bottom line is, nobody wants to see eminent domain used to build these things. So where were Democrats? Well, they're sitting on their hands. Again, a few have spoken out a little bit. But again, more than half the votes on the wrong side of this issue in the House were Democrats. That's how clueless the Democratic Party is. That's how bought and paid for by the status quo and, in this case, one big powerful union. But, you know, I, 
the, the, the rest of organized labor ought to say, you know, it's time for us just to kind of step aside and not get in the way of things that really should be top issues for Democrats. But again, we should be not surprised at all that, again, Busolo rather, was appointed the chair of the subcommittee because he used to work for Summit. Oh, talk about a conflict of interest. If anybody should have to recuse themselves from being involved in this conversation, it's Senator Mike Busolo. You, you know, you have this deep connection to the company that wants the pipeline, that wants to condemn land to build it? Come on. If that's not a conflict of interest, and that, again, it makes it really clear that there is a system, that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a machine behind this, headed by Reynolds, that wants to make sure this doesn't get anywhere. So what could this do potentially to the Republican Party? Well, uh, Scott Ritland, he's a Republican, farms up here north of uh, Des Moines. Uh, he farms land that's been in his family since 1862. And he says, quote, I might soon be a former Republican. I registered at a re as a Republican at age 18. I'm now 63. They're not listening to us. Several of my neighbors, including myself, we might begin to start voting Democrat, not because we're Democrats, but just as a protest vote against the corrupt Republican Party of Iowa. And again, that's not just one family and his neighbors, but uh, here's Jerry Goldsmith. He farms uh, out in eastern Iowa, Cedar County. He says, quote, I have been a Governor Reynolds fan. I'm no longer a Governor Reynolds fan. I'm really, really disappointed in what has happened and her influence with the Iowa Senate, which didn't allow that bill to come up for a vote. I'm not sure I can vote a Democrat either, though. <laughs> so maybe Republicans can breathe a little sigh of relief at that. But um, again, I, I do not understand the Democratic Party. I ran into a Democratic lawmaker just this weekend. And I, again, I've, I've known this, this person a while. I've, I've talked with them before. I challenged them again on this. You know, you guys are going into special session on Tuesday to Republicans want to make sure they can pass a six-week abortion ban or maybe something even more severe something the courts can't possibly uh, rule against. So they're coming back into special session to do that. Why not use that opportunity to push for the, 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 the bill that 80% that of Iowans want? 80% of Iowans don't want to see eminent domain used to build this pipeline. Push for that bill. Show, the, show Iowans that Democrats are the ones leading the charge to do the right thing on this. But, you know, his response... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not, not very convincing at all. I, I don't think he or the leadership of the party get it. I don't think they know what's going on. I, I don't think they know what to do. They feel, they feel tied because of the money they now take from the, what I call the elite within the party and also their connections to labor. Again, I'm a big labor supporter, but there are certain times when somebody who might be your ally in many cases might be on the wrong side of an issue. And that, that's, what, that's what's happening here with the building trades. They want to build these things. They want to build anything. They don't care whether it's good or bad for the environment, for the people, whether it involves taking people's land forcibly. They just want to build things. I get that. They're wrong. They shouldn't be doing it. They shouldn't be allowed to do it. So, again, it's remarkable to me that the Democratic Party hasn't jumped on this bandwagon. Now, here, here we have the Republican Party, or some of them, Steve King, and other Republican uh, lawmakers who are challenging the leadership of their own party. Where are the Democrats? It is incredible to me that they have not done more. And again, look at the, look at the past, okay? In 1980, Democrats were the party that challenged the foreclosures, the, 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 the mistreatment of farmers by banks and, and lending agencies. They, they were the party that stepped forward, and Democrats landed control of the House and Senate here in Iowa. And I think, I don't know for sure, but that might have happened in other states that were affected by the farm crisis. And again, more recently, hog confinements have been a real problem for rural Iowa. And uh, throughout the late 1990s, early 2000s, people got more and more upset, and they became, it became clear the Republican Party was not going to do anything about it. So what happened? Well, I, I, mean, I remember talking to longtime, lifetime Republicans who switched to Democrat because they were so upset that their party was doing nothing to combat these corporate hog confinements. And what happened? Well, Democrats took control of the legislature. I mean, Republicans have been in charge of the House for 14 years. The year I got out, they took control. Democrats took control, rather, because people got fed up about this issue.
And what did Democrats do with the four years they had the trifecta? They had Governor Culver, the House, the Senate. For four years, they did nothing. In fact, they made it worse. <laughs> so, so maybe that's why one reason, one very, very important reason why rural voters say, yeah, yeah, we're not really convinced that Democrats are going to do anything for us. And, you know, that's why we don't see any Democrats in rural Iowa anymore. I mean, there are, I, are there any? I don't think so. There are only two Democrats in the western part of the state, and they're both representing uh, urban areas. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, and it, it gets worse, of course, because Democrats now, after having lost rural Iowa, they are, they are in the process of losing the midsize and smaller working class towns like Ottumwa, uh, uh, Burlington, Clinton, uh, Waterloo not is not entirely, but uh, Mason City. I mean, some of these places still have some Democrats, but how long is that going to last for? I mean, I, I will I will not be surprised to see Dubuque, which has been a Democratic stronghold forever, become Republican. Democrats, you have a chance to do something about this. Uh, this special session is your chance to really show where you stand on this issue. Uh, Republicans are already making more noise about it because they know it's a winning issue for them. Uh, and if they don't do something about it, it's a losing issue. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that. I'm not holding my breath. By the time you listen to this program, that special session may be over. We'll see. Hey, got to take a short break. When we come back in a minute, we'll discuss Adam McKay's take on those who say we ought to remain calm in the face of the escalating climate crisis. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back, folks. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westerman and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, so uh, global warming uh, is real and getting even realer. Have you been following what's going on in Arizona? Uh, as we speak, as I, I, I'm glancing at my phone right now, and the uh, temperature in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, what are we looking at? 107. 107 degrees, and... It's projected to go up to 117. I mean, look at these temperatures. Every day for the next 10 days, 110 is the lowest high. So we're on track to record the hottest month ever seen in the U.S. The uh, National Weather Service had this to say. Last week was hot with temperatures on average 5 degrees above normal in the Phoenix area to a few degrees above normal across the western deserts. But there is very high confidence this heat will get even worse this week. That's from uh, last Friday, and yeah, indeed, the NWS National Weather Service is correct. It is getting worse. 
I know, I, Gary, I hear you. Gary, I know you're listening. I know you're watching. I know you're reading my blogs. I know you, I know you always want to respond to me. So, Gary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preempt you here and say, I know what you're going to say. Well, on July 28th of 1995, Phoenix hit 121 degrees, and Yuma, Arizona hit 124. So there, so much for your climate concerns, Ed. But, Gary, I mean, are you really going to tell me that the National Weather Service is wrong? I mean, that they're extremists, that, uh, that climate change isn't real. I mean, again, quoting the National Weather Service, quote, even if we do not get quite that hot, meaning 121, 124, even if we do not get quite that hot during this current heat wave, this should go down as one of the longest, if not the longest duration heat wave this area has ever seen. And, you know, all over the globe, we're seeing this happen, and not just heat, but the impacts of heat, the, um, the algae blooms in Florida, uh, that is heat-related. The fires in Canada, that is climate change-related. The, the smoke, of course, that's coming down and, and impacting us in the Midwest, and even worse on some days in the East Coast, that is climate-related. But let me, let me switch gears slightly to um, suggest that you do look up and also look down uh, I'm making a pun, of course, on Adam McKay's uh, film, Don't Look Up, which uh, was so powerful I had to watch it twice in two days. I've never done that with a movie before. There are some movies I've seen multiple times, maybe two, maybe three, but I've never seen one twice in what, two or three days in a row. Anyway, so uh, his column this past week called Remaining Calm About Climate Change Will Kill Us, published in The Lever, McKay says the... Calm down set, fancy themselves professional and sober-minded, a tasteful levy protecting the marvel of our civilization from the uninformed and hysterical masses. And I'll insert this here. Yeah, that, 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 the, the, the uninformed masses, that would be us, right? Hysterical, yeah, that would be us. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, by the way, I love, that. I love his imagery there, a levy. Okay, McKay, uh, the calm down person's business is business as usual, they defend the status quo, and they love to second-guess the strategies of those who are trying to actively change or challenge the way things are. Isn't that kind of approach counterproductive, the calm-down type will ask? I'll insert this, too. You know, probably, um, probably what, they have get, what I find the calm—I never heard that expression, the calm-down crowd, but I know what he means. I know, the, I know that type. They get upset about protests, about marches. I mean, why, why waste your time protesting and marching? Go out and vote and leave it at that. And again, obviously a big proponent of voting, very, very important. Even better than voting is working for candidates that are committed to making a difference on the things you care about. But, you know, um, they, and the calm down crowd, certainly they don't like protests or marches. They certainly don't like direct action. They certainly don't like civil disobedience. You know, don't block a road. Don't, um, don't glue yourself to a painting. And I have some concerns about that as well. McKay goes on, they worry anger or a more direct approach will turn off their friends. When you express alarm about how rapidly the climate is warming, the calm down crowd will correct you with the most remedial facts. Their answers have been approved by the large extended crowd of calm down friends, consultants, business leaders, journalists, politicians, pundits, financial analysts, and media personalities with whom they routinely lunch and work. <laughs> And I would add, not only lunch and work, but, but vacation on yachts. Um, yeah, probably several times a year in exotic places. Um, okay, McKay goes on, God forbid you point out to the calm down guy the numerous conflicts of interest and moral hazards that have constellated around him or her for the past 30 years. A spirograph of wrong turns and straight up disasters his calm down crowd has cheered and supported. Dark and soft money, advertising revenue, speaking fees, future jobs, board seats, university endowments, awards, hiring preferences, social media reach, financial markets, poll numbers, and on and on. You know, I, I think McKay is nailing it here, folks. Um, I mean, look at our former presidents. And just look at the Democrats. Look at Clinton, Obama. I mean, they got, they got paid outrageous speaking fees from fossil fuel interests. You know, I mean, certainly the Republicans as well. But, you know, and maybe, maybe Obama's outrageous speaking fees has something to do with him bragging. And this, I'm not making this up. This is an actual quote. It's on, go, go look it up online. Obama said, 
You know, people, it was me that made this country the biggest oil exporter in the world. He boasted about that. He boasted about that. The guy who said we've got to fight climate change boasted about making the U.S. the biggest exporter of oil. Well, you know, maybe he meant, maybe he meant what he said about climate change when he ran for the office, but somehow all that dark and soft money and who knows what, uh, but when you come out of your second term as a president and you boast about being the biggest thing, having made America the biggest oil exporter, something is desperately wrong. All right, back to McKay. So, so, so adverse is this group to stating the obvious that after a while, the obvious or even the semi-obvious pretty much never gets started at all or stated at all. The oil industry and their attendant financial institutions almost preposterous hold on the government and its elected officials? What about that? What about an economic system that has nurses paying a higher functional tax rate than billionaires? What about a world climate plan that after hundreds of forums, treaties, and net zero pledges still saw emissions reach their highest levels even this past year? All of it risks not only upsetting the calm-down guy's well-developed, delicate, late 20th century aesthetic taste, but worst of all, it might just get the people riled up or, in the worst of all possible outcomes, actually demanding change and accountability. And to that, I say amen. I mean, that, that nails it. I mean, we, we see all the action. We see, we see all these corporations. I mean, how many times on my phone or computer does an ad pop up where Chrysler or, or Chevron or, or some big oil or car company is telling me how much they're doing for the environment, how, how deeply they care about the climate crisis, all the things they're doing. You know, and, and again, you look, at the, you look at the output, you look at the statements versus the output. And sure, we may be making some incremental steps, but when you look at what scientists say we have to do and, what, what the, and, and the very pledges that have been made, the net zero pledges, that have been made. And, and again, emissions are still rising. That's the bottom line. Emissions are still rising. So let me let me wrap it up with this. So McKay says, um, you realize this perfectly smooth stone of a person, this calm down guy, will get a lot of people killed. And after it happens, they will let us all know there was no way anyone could have ever known. So that's... Uh, that's really hard hitting. I mean, I mean, McKay is probably no no poor person either, right? <laughs> he he's done some amazing films. I'm sure he's made a lot of money doing that. Uh, <laughs> but at least he's speaking truth to power about this. And you know, wh when it will change, uh, when we'll actually start seeing the kind of momentum we need, I don't know. Uh, but um, you would think that. With 117 degrees in Phoenix and running on two weeks soon of, of unprecedented temperatures of the highest uh, highest uh, recorded temperatures ever. I mean, I think we had the highest global recorded temperature ever last Tuesday. And that record was broken on Wednesday. And if memory serves, it was broken again on Thursday. So, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anybody to be calm. Uh, nobody should be calm about this. Nobody should be you know, telling anyone else, hey, you can't do that. That's too radical. That's too extreme. Again, I'm, I'm not the person who's going to go out and glue myself to a Van Gogh painting. You know, and, I, and, I, and I, sometimes I, I, have, I have reservations about whether or not that makes sense, but I, I got to admit... The folks who glued themselves to Van Gogh paintings, or whatever painting that was, I can't remember now, it might have been Van Gogh, uh, got a lot more media attention, got a lot more people talking and thinking, and, and obviously very, very critical of it as well, than the 100,000-person march that Extinction Rebellion organized in London because they felt they had to back away from the more extreme types of activism. You know, at what point... Do we start calling the lack of action extreme? The willingness to continue to move forward in the same direction that is causing the problem. I mean, at some point, you've got to turn around and say, hey, maybe we took a wrong turn. Maybe we need to do something completely different. And I like the fact that McKay is calling out the status quo because, that, again, you, you, I'm going to bring this together. I have criticized the Democratic Party as being the party of the status quo. And I think there's probably... <laughs> 
I think they'd have a really hard time debating me that it's anything but the party of the status quo. And the, the Republican Party, again, has become this extreme uh, response to the status quo in a direction that is very unhealthy and deeply concerning. But because most people know the status quo is not working, even if they may have personally benefited from it, and again, that's a, a fairly small universe anymore, even if they benefited from it, they know it's not working. And so they, they're, they're looking for some kind of a big response, a big shakeup, a draining of the swamp. And they don't see that coming from the Democrats. And unless the Democratic Party drastically changes its direction, they won't see that coming. We're not going to see it from Joe Biden, that's for sure. Probably not going to see it here in Iowa from the Iowa Democratic Party, who seem to be clueless. I mean, there are a few members that I've spoken with of the very small caucuses in the Democratic House and Sen in the Iowa House and Senate who get it. Most don't. And, uh, you know, so I, I think maybe McKay, maybe Adam McKay's um, challenge is more to the Democratic types. Because, you know, I mean, how many, how many Republican voters, how many independent voters, how many, how many uh, folks who feel very disenfranchised by what's going on in our country, how many of them say calm down? You know, I, I talked about um, Jessica Restacek and Ruby Montoya on this program. Uh, I've talked about them several times. They're the two gals who went out um, repeatedly and uh, damaged, destroyed in some cases, uh, pipeline, the, the Dakota Access Pipeline, various points across the state of Iowa. They did that for a long time. They, they got caught because they, they turned themselves in. And maybe they would have been caught anyhow, I'm not sure. But, you know, there were those who said, oh, that's too extreme. You know, calm down. Don't do that. Uh, that's, uh, that's out of line. And I, and I was, and again, I, I am among those who said, I don't think it's the best strategy. I, I admire the courage, the tenacity, the commitment, the passion. I don't think it's the best strategy. I'm concerned that it alienates people. And uh, it does alienate a lot of people. But I was surprised to hear from farmers along the route who said, you know, they just have more courage than I do. Uh, I, I kind of agree that uh, just taking that infrastructure out is the best way to go, maybe the only way to go. So, you know, I mean, the whole conversation, the bottom line is whether you are on board with that kind of action or not, and again, I, I'll reiterate that it's not my cup of tea, you know, don't tell, don't tell people to, in, again, McKay's words, to calm down, to just kind of sit tight and assess, <laughs> which is um, a line from the, his movie, Don't Look Up. Sit tight and assess. The comet is coming toward Earth. You know, yeah, we see this as it's a 100% chance it's going to hit us, but I think we just need to sit tight and assess. I mean, don't look up about the comet hitting the Earth is a metaphor. It's a clear, unabashed metaphor for climate, the climate crisis. So, you know, I, again, I wish there was a party in the U.S. that had this figured out. The Republican Party has figured out that people are really angry, upset, want a new direction, but they're not taking us in the right direction. The Democratic Party is still gazing at the stars and wondering, oh, why aren't they voting for us? Why are there no longer any Democratic lawmakers from rural Iowa? Why are there less and less Democratic lawmakers from working class towns? Why? Oh, why? <laughs> what could be happening? Oh, anyway, uh, maybe the Democratic Party will figure it out. Maybe the Republican Party will decide that it doesn't want to be just totally insane. I don't know. I'm not counting on it. The big problem, again, is you've got this, 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 this corporate interest, the status quo, as McKay calls it, that likes business as usual, that doesn't really want to change. They'll say a few things. They'll make a few gestures. They'll talk the right talk. They'll put up a nice ad of Chevron with a solar panel behind, its, uh, behind one of its oil pipelines, you know, or Chevrolet with a beautiful car running on, you know, running on electricity, sitting on top of a mountain. But do they really get it? Do they really, are they really committed? Are the countries of the world really committed to moving us toward net zero emissions? I, you know, I, no, the answer is no. Uh, but does it need to change? Yes, and immediately. So yeah, don't calm down, get involved, get active. Speak up. Uh, and if you haven't seen Don't Look Up, do that. Hey, uh, Ed Fallon with you here, folks. We've got to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute. And when we do, we're going to discuss the President Biden's decision to ship cluster bombs to Ukraine. Back in a minute.
Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you. Hey, thanks to Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. CPM focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at CatholicPeaceMinistry.org. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so before we talk about the Biden decision to send cluster bombs to Ukraine, I want to talk about another concern relevant to Ukraine, and that is my concern about the mainstream media. Okay, so here's the New York Times, and I'll quote, American officials are growing anxious, but it is not too late. The big push could still come. Okay, I, I, yeah, I could not. I, some of the inflection there is my own, of course, because I'm so excited I mean, that's what it sounds like. Don't worry, folks. The big push is coming. Yeah. So the, the, the New York Times continues, Ukraine's primary goal in its counteroffensive is to retake much, if not all, of the land connecting Russian forces to the eastern, in the eastern region of the Donbass and the southern peninsula of Crimea. In doing so, Ukrainian leaders would hope to get Russia to worry about a full defeat and negotiate a favorable peace deal. To achieve that, Ukraine will need to take much more territory than it has so far. With months to go, it still has time to succeed, and Ukraine has surprised the world before. End quote. And I just want to throw up reading that. I mean, come on. This is, this is what's... This is basically the Pentagon, you know, feeding the New York Times and other elements of the mainstream media. Here are our talking points. Print them verbatim, you know? So, I mean, really, you read this. What, is this a sporting match? You know, I, I, I'd like to reread that blur from the Times, substituting my favorite baseball team and changing a few verbs. Uh, the Red Sox' primary goal this season is to, is to win as many, if not all, of the games left. Uh, in doing so, Red Sox uh, management would hope to um, get, um, you know, the Yankees to worry about defeat and maybe negotiate some kind of a, an agreement toward the end of the season. Uh, to, to achieve that, the Red Sox will need to take much more, um, you know, much more victories than they've had so far. With months to go, it still has time to succeed. And, you know, the Red Sox have surprised the world before. Of course, I'm being facetious, but it, 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 sounds, it sounds almost like a sporting event that they're talking about. So, you know, the other thing, one more thing before we talk about these cluster bombs. 
You would think Ukraine was the only place in the world where there was a global conflict, right? I mean, that's all you hear about. And I'm not saying we shouldn't know about what's going on in Ukraine. But, you know, I Googled, I searched, um, I searched online for uh, global conflicts. And what came up was this quote, Overall, there are 32 countries currently in conflict, and the types of conflict vary widely. While the severity and duration of these conflicts differ, they all have significant impacts on the affected populations and can result in a high number of casualties as well as humanitarian crises. 32 places, 32 countries. I, I mean, I, I could name a handful of them. I, I bet most people couldn't name more than Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it is amazing to me that the media choose to have that one focus. Yeah, anyway. So these cluster bombs. All right, this is... Um, I'm, I'm encouraged to see President Biden getting such a huge pushback uh, about this. Uh, first, though, what, what are cluster bombs? I had to look into them a little bit. It's a weapon that apparently breaks apart in the air. I've seen some video footage. Maybe you've seen it as well. It's, it's getting a lot more traction than it used to. But these, these weapons break apart in the air, and they release multiple uh, explosives, um, sometimes called bomblets, I guess. Uh, it's very, very, very cute, right? across a wide area. And so, you know, they can be dropped by planes, uh, shot with artillery, delivered by missiles. And uh, they're designed to detonate upon impact with the ground. And if you're anywhere nearby, you're very likely to be killed or seriously injured. And uh, beyond the initial damage that these bombs cause, uh, many fail to detonate immediately. And the estimate is that up to 40% have failed to explode in some recent conflicts. 40%. So got all these bombs falling, you know, and again, presumably they are, again, if 40% of a particular cluster of bombs doesn't blow up, you've got an area, and you may not even know where that is, that's pretty deadly. So, you know, they're kind of like landmines. They pose a risk to civilians long after they've been used. Um, apparently unexploded ordnance from cluster bombs can kill and main people for years or even decades to come. And, uh, you know, there's a part of the world that is very familiar with cluster bombs and still very concerned about it, and that's Southeast Asia, because many of them were used in Vietnam, and many of them are still there. In fact, Cambodia's prime minister spoke out against Biden's decision in very strong terms, warning that Ukrainians will be at risk from these bombs for decades, maybe up to 100 years. They're speaking from experience. And cluster bombs that littered the landscape in Vietnam and other parts of Southeast Asia uh, back in the uh, 60s are still there. So, you know, it should not be surprising to anybody that 120 countries have signed the Convention on Cluster Munitions and that uh, convention prohibits the use, production, transfer and, transfer, and stockpiling of the weapons. And maybe this won't surprise you either, but Russia, the Ukraine, and the U.S. have all declined to sign the treaty. But part of the pressure is coming from U.S. allies in Europe and elsewhere that, that, um, that generally speaking, tend to stand with the U.S., but understand the risk from these cluster munitions. Uh, they understand that they've signed an agreement, a treaty, 120 countries. You know, again, why, why have why, why is Ukraine and the U.S. I get Russia. You know, I, I mean, Vladimir Putin is is is, is a whole other story. But why haven't they, why have why hasn't the U.S. signed this treaty? Come on, really. So, human rights groups are saying that these uh, cluster bombs used in populated areas represent a violation of international law uh, because they cause indiscriminate destruction. You know? And again, looking at the, the, the victims, the casualties of cluster bombs going off after the fact, one-third of all those are children. So there's nothing morally appropriate or commendable about this. And uh, the fact that President Biden is I mean, part of it is saying, well, Russia has been using these. But, you know, Russia, I mean, Biden spoke out against Russia using these. And so now it's okay for him to use them? 
Yeah. I mean, part of it goes back to what I read you earlier from the Times. Go, go, Ukraine. You can win this war. You've got to, you've got to spend more money on bombs. And, yeah, I wonder what, what kind of money is the, is the defense industry making from this war, huh? You've got to spend more money on these bombs. Um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll take back that territory. We'll win, 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 you know. It's, just, um, it's enough to disgust you. So the Human Rights Watch, excellent group, um, Mary Wareham, uh, she's with that group, and she was recently uh, interviewed. Okay, here's what Mary Wareham had to say recently on Democracy Now! Human Rights Watch objected to this transfer due to the likelihood of civilian harm. Uh, and we do not say that lightly, but after issuing 10 reports detailing uh, the extensive use of cluster munition rockets and missiles by Russian forces since the very first day of the conflict, Ukrainian forces have also used cluster munitions in fewer numbers. But what our report released last week shows uh, is that they had used cluster munition rockets, firing them into a city in the east called Izium, uh, over a period of nearly six months during 2022, when it was under Russian occupation. Uh, and the stories are pretty sad uh, and horrific. Uh, people who were uh, killed in their homes during the cluster munition strike, of a, a woman cooking outside in her garden who was killed uh, while together with her young daughter and her mother, of a neighbor sitting on a park bench outside of their apartment building who were hit in a strike. These are all casualties from the time of use, which is one reason why cluster munitions are prohibited. And of course, the other is that the cluster munitions results in unexploded ordnance. Uh, many submunitions fail to detonate as, as intended. Uh, and that leaves a legacy of contamination, which I think Lao, the Lao foreign ministry statements and the Cambodian prime minister have referred to quite eloquently. Uh, they do not want to see the horror of cluster munitions, you know, get any worse in Ukraine because they know full well that it will take years to clear up the remnants. Again, that's Mary Warham with the Human Rights Watch. Uh, a pretty good explanation as to why this should cause great concern. So, uh, Barbara Lee. Uh, Congresswoman from California. I'm very excited, by the way, that she's um, running for the uh, state senate, uh, the U.S. Senate out there. Um, she, in, in 2001, she was the only member of Congress who voted against the war in Afghanistan. That's uh, remarkable to me. Uh, she's now running to replace uh, Feinstein in the Senate, but uh, recently spoke out saying, quote, we know what takes place in terms of cluster bombs being very dangerous to civilians. They don't always immediately explode. Children can step on them. That's a line we should not cross. And so, you know, there's, there's, bi there's, there's muted but bipartisan criticism of Biden taking this initiative. Uh, again, the, the biggest criticism is from all over the world and from NGOs, nonprofit groups that work on human rights that have seen the damage that these cluster munitions have done. So what has Biden said himself? Well, you know, I've known Joe Biden a long time. We go back to 1987 when he first walked up to me and my, my wife at the time and said, uh, and, and Kristen was eight months pregnant, and he said, when? <laughs> that was his first thing he said to me was, when? Um, and he was, he's a, he's an, he was an articulate fellow. Um, we spent an hour together just kind of one-on-one -on -one playing pool and he drinking beer back in 19, I mean, what was that, 2006. So I've known him a long time. I've known him well. And uh, the lack of clarity of this next statement I'm going to share with you is disturbing uh, for broader reasons, but also just for his lack of, lack of connectivity with previous statements about cluster bombs. And it was a very difficult decision on my part. Uh, and by the way, I discussed this with our allies, discussed this with our friends up on the hill. And uh, we're in a situation where Ukraine continues to be brutally attacked across the board by munitions, by these cluster munitions that are, have dud rates that are very, very low, I mean, very high, that are dangerous to civilians, number one. Number two, uh, the Ukrainians are running out of ammunition. Uh, the ammunition that is, they call them 155 millimeter weapons. This is a, this is a war relating to munitions and uh, the running out of those, that ammunition, and we're low on it. And so what I finally did, took the recommendation of the Defense Department to not permanently, but to allow for in this transition period where we get more 155 
weapons, these shells, for the Ukrainians to provide them with a something that has a very low dud rate. It's about one, I think it's one five zero, which is the least likely to be blowing. And it's not used in civilian areas. They're trying to get through those trenches and those then stop those tanks from rolling. And so, uh, but it was not an easy decision. And it's not we're not signatories to that that agreement. But I. Um, it took me a while to be convinced to do it. But the main thing is they either have the weapon to stop the Russians now from their, keep them from stopping the Ukrainian offensive through these areas, or uh, they don't. And I think they needed them. Yeah, so this Joe Biden, um, we need to provide Ukraine with the weapons they need to stop the Russians. Um, I mean, I mean I, I'm sure Vladimir Putin has also seen that clip. Uh, is there any doubt that this is not a, a proxy war between the U.S. and Russia? And is there any doubt that that's a really, really bad idea? How does this not escalate into some kind of nuclear exchange? I mean, if, if suddenly cluster bombs are okay, at what point do we, do we feel confident that, that, the, the, that the nuclear option is off the table? I, I mean, it's not off the table. And where, where does that lead? Where does that lead? How does, how does that possibly end good for anybody? The only way that this conflict resolves reasonably and, and quickly is through some kind of focus on diplomacy. And, you know, I mean, clearly that's not, what, that's not Biden's focus. Give them all the weapons they need. And, they, again, the mainstream media are right there with them. You know, go team, go. And I think, you know, this is a really good time for us to be thinking about, to remembering, remembering what happened the last time nuclear weapons were used. That was back in 1945 twice in a matter of three days, in Hiroshima on August 6th and Nagasaki on August 9th. And uh, the damage that was done to those, those, those cities, the, 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 uh, the death that was experienced immediately and the aftermath from the radiation poisoning. And to remember, too, that those bombs were like child's play compared to the weapons that we have now. And again, the USSR, the, sorry, Russia, <laughs> formerly the USSR, Russia has almost 6,000 nuclear weapons. The U.S., slightly less. It is insane that we are engaging in this war with Russia. This is insanity, and it needs to stop. And again, I, one, thing, one thing we're going to do on this program sometime soon is dig into how much money the defense industry is making on this war and what kind of influence and control they have over Joe Biden and other politicians that are backing it, Republican and Democrat, and what kind of control they have over the mass media, the mainstream media that, that seem to be incapable of... Uh, offering a, a critical thought, or of talking about the risk of nuclear war. Anyway, I'm sorry to leave you at, on that uh, unfortunate note. When we come back, we have happy talk for you. We're going to be talking with Kathy Burns. We're going to be looking at um, garden stuff going on this time of the year and answer some of the July Q&A that uh, comes our way. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. I know here I am talking about all these really, really bad things, nuclear, nuclear war, climate change, the Democratic and Republican parties, uh, you know, but uh, it's important to have those conversations because action is needed, and hopefully what we talk about on this program inspires people to take action. But that said, our next segment is going to be a positive one. 
Hey, first though, thanks to our sponsors, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. And so to begin a nice, happy conversation is Kathy Burns. Kathy, we're, welcome to the program. Thanks, and we're taking action. We're taking action. We, we are. This is part of um, yes. part of our effort to um, combat climate change is to grow food yes. and teach people to grow food. Right. At Birds and Bees Urban and Farm. And speaking of growing food, people have a lot of questions about it, and probably more now than any month of the year. Well, everything is happening. It's Just all happening. everything. So, so a few questions about uh, harvesting. Uh, first off, somebody wants to know when to pick the carrots. Before, uh, before the rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely want to get them before they start to get their seed stems on and try to go to seed, even if they get that, that rounder stem in the middle of the pretty leaves and it starts to come up. You can still pick it, but you would probably pick it before then. You can usually see the crown of the carrot stick out above the soil a little bit, but not always. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're in Iowa now, and, you, and if you planted them in spring, I'd say probably now's your time. Pull a few and yeah. check them, and yeah. they're not all going to be the same. But uh, yeah. have at it, have at it, and then plant some more. Uh, somebody says they planted four broccoli plants. They picked four beautiful crowns, and now what? And oh. fortunately, their plants are still in the ground. Ed, yeah. what happens? Well, yeah, there are people who think that oh, I, I got a head of broccoli, I can just tear this plant out now. Don't, Don't do, do that. It. <laughs> <laughs> No, the um, yeah, it, it continued. We have pretty robust broccoli this year. We had nice heads, and now we're getting all kinds of sh- uh, side shoots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I think we have ten plants, and I mean every week we're getting enough to for a meal, you know, mm. or to freeze some. So yeah, don't don't pull them up. Okay, let them go, and they'll be good all the way through October. Uh, someone was saying that they've realized they're going to be on vacation when their tomatoes ripen. How if they can get somebody to pick them? How can they still use them for their processing? And I saw some interesting uh, discussion, and I didn't I didn't know about this because I've never done it or seen it. Some people put the ripe tomatoes, they, they cut a little score in the, the stem, and they might core the stem just a little bit and cut a little bit off the bottom, put them in a baggie, put them in the freezer, and I guess... That works as well as blanching for when you when you come back from vacation. Really? You can just, just pull them out of the freezer. You can let them sit on the counter for a few minutes, and I guess the skin slips right off, and then, boom, you put them in your um, pot. You can them the same hmm. as usual, which I is fascinating. A, I think a better plan would be to have... To plan your vacation so that they don't, it doesn't when tomatoes ripen. And uh, I mean, maybe, I don't know whether these people have a determinate variety or an indeterminate variety. If you've got a determinate variety, then yeah, you definitely. Oh, that's going to be a one shot. That's going to be a one shot deal. You want somebody there to make sure they're all harvested. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if it's indeterminate, then yeah, maybe you can let some of them go or have some friends stop by and pick them, and there'll be more when you get back. Because we have our indeterminate varieties produced up through October. They just go and go and go. That's yeah. why we plant them. Um, some a few questions about late summer and fall crops. So someone asks, can you plant zucchini now? And I, I actually, we just planted ours a little bit ago. Yeah, we started planting them late years ago to try to avoid the squash vine borer, which is most active in earlier spring. Mm-hmm. Yep. Seems to work. And it does okay. You should still try to wrap the stem of that, the very base of it, with a little tin foil as soon as it's big enough to wrap a little foil around it but and here's, try to that. Here's my question. Why, why did they harvest all their potatoes? Oh, that's right. They said <laughs> they, they wanted to plant zucchini after they harvested their potatoes. A giant space of potatoes, they said, right? Yeah. Well, well, well you know, well, to I, each don't, don't do his that or either. her own. Well, no, I think it's a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, you are, you my, always my get upset is, about the potatoes. Well, yeah, that's right. It's my favorite yeah, food. I know, I know. So, no, I think, uh, I mean, where are you going to store them? You're not going to eat them all, right? I mean, do you have a place to store them where you can be sure that they're going to stay good and firm all winter? Because we, we wait till um, October, November to harvest most of ours, mm-hmm. and then we bury them deep in the ground where they stay fresh. Mm-hmm. And one year, we tried cheating that, uh, cheating fate, and harvested them this time of the year. And buried them, and they, and got they rotted. Rot. They all yeah. rotted. So they I, did I don't rot. Know. Well, p- maybe people have a different storage system. Yeah. Um, uh, the other question is basically, what can you plant now, or what sure. can you plant in the fall? So many things, but n- not very much that you would do a seedling with. You would want to direct sow seeds direct some, yeah. right now. Um, heck, 
uh, green beans or dried beans. You can start well. Green beans mostly. Dried beans if they've got a, if they're a short short production, you know. So they will um, be dry by the time you need to yeah. pick them. And um, uh, a lot of roots, a lot of root stuff. Mm-hmm. Carrot, more carrots, beets, turnips, whatever other root things yeah. you like to grow. Yeah, um, and at, by fall garden, I mean fall garden should be done in, in Des Moines at least. Again, it varies from your depending on what zone you're in. I'd say first week of August. Just make sure they'll have enough sun. Yeah. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. And thanks, folks, for being a part of our program today. Uh, thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, uh, Kathy Burns, Charles Goldman, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And also thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. We'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.